So if you haven't been with us, uh, this is the last part of the series that we're calling Politics in Church. And so we've said that the church should be the safest place in the world to talk about anything, and especially politics. But we actually rarely talk about politics in church. But it, within, with this season and everything that's going on with, with the elections and everything, we decided we are going to talk about politics. And we've said that the issue that we need to re- wrestle with is not which party we're going to be a part of, but what we have to wrestle with is are we willing to put our faith filter in front of our political filter. And that's very difficult to do. In fact, it's so difficult to do that most American Christians think they've already done it, and they can't even see that maybe this is something that they need to continue to work on. And so a lot of people are just not willing to do this. But if we are Christians, we have to put our faith filter in front of our political filter so that we are Christians first and everything else second. And we've discovered that although we are a diverse body of Christ and although we have differing opinions on how the infallible word of God should be applied within our city and within our nations, um, and, and we can disagree politically, but that in the midst of that disagreement, we can also love unconditionally. And so as we finish up this series today, we are going to continue to talk about how we can do that going forward. So uh, this has actually been, 2020 has been an amazingly crazy year. So by early uh, March of this year, most places in the whole world are actually closed, completely shut down for what they call the global pandemic. And we know that. uh, And we know that so many people lost so much. Some people lost loved one, which is tragic beyond measure. Some of us lost jobs. Some of us lost income. Some of us lost our businesses, but all of us have lost a sense of normalcy. So, you know, what's the world going to be like tomorrow or in the future? And what's interesting is that many crises, they have a unifying effect. For example, September 11th, you know, when, when terrorist planes flew into the Twin Towers, American patriotism, it actually surged. There was a unifying effect, like, you know, this is our country, our nation, we stuck together. Unfortunately, though, COVID seemed to have the actually op- the opposite effect. Instead of this uniting us as a nation, it seemed to be more divisive. Instead of standing together, apparently we became more polarized. And it feels like that we are divided between two different groups. Those that might say, yes, this is very serious and we should be wise, but I wonder if shutting down the economy might have ended up, you know, having more painful impact than, you know, than not. And then there's the other side that has said, well, you know what? It is completely irresponsible and reckless to reopen. Don't be stupid, you know, with, we've got to keep the virus from spreading. And so what this has done is it has divided the people within this nation. And, and even within the church world, we have people really upset when the church closed. You know, you know where's your faith? And, and, you know, we need to keep the church open and defy the government. And then when we opened back up, other people said, you know, what are you doing? You're risking lives. And there is so much tension. There's so much discord, so much division right now. And, and then when you, think, when you thought that things couldn't get any worse, our nation experienced the ongoing problem of racism. Unless, 
you actually don't think that racism is an ongoing problem. And then suddenly there is even more division, more anger, more disagreement, more discord, and more division. Then <laughs> we have an election coming up that could be the most polarizing election that we've had in a very, very long time. And if it wasn't tense enough, then we add to that the debate of mail-in ballots. And what's that going to do you know, for the future of the election as well as the country? And with all of this, my guess is that the devil is laughing right now that he is rejoicing and celebrating at all the division that he has caused. Because one of his greatest strategies is to divide. And especially when it comes to the church, the body of Christ. Because we as Christ followers, you see, when we are united, when we stand together in unity of mission, we are unstoppable. We're empowered by the Spirit of God. But when we are divided, we quickly become weak and ineffective in this kingdom that he gave us to operate in. So what I want to do today is I want to make the same passionate, faith-filled appeal that the Apostle Paul made to the believers in Corinth. You see, he was going through the exact same type thing with his congregations, and he said this. He said, I appeal to you. In other words, I beg you, I urge you, I plead with you. He was actually pleading with them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you, watch this, agree with one another in what you say that there may be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And he's saying, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm urging you that there be no divisions in the family of God, that we would be united in mind and in thought. And here, what he's not talking about is mind and thought as far as, you know, what do you think about social issues or what do you think about political issues? who we're going to vote for, what he's talking about is understanding that one of the major tools that Jesus asked us and Jesus prayed for and gave us within the kingdom of God is our unity. You know, the Bible says where two or more gathered together, he's there in the midst of them, that if one could put a thousand to flight, that two could put 10,000 to flight. There is this tool and this thread that he gives us within the kingdom of God, and it's our unity. And as we've discussed, on that last night, he prayed that that tool, that that tool, he prayed that we wouldn't squander it. And Paul here uses a word in the Greek, the word division. It's actually translated schisma, and it means a split or a division uh, or a schism in other words, a ripping or a tearing apart. And Paul says, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you that there would be no tearing or ripping apart, no division. Because see, when we are the body of, as, as the body of Christ, when we argue, what we're doing is we are dividing the body of Christ. We're actually ripping apart the unity that he prayed for that makes us stronger. We're tearing apart our faith that unites us to be a light in a very, very dark world. And when we fight amongst ourselves and we argue and we let smaller issues other than the Great Commission, which is our primary mission, we are essentially tearing apart the body of Christ. 
And we've got to acknowledge that what we're doing, if we don't stand in unity, and instead we bicker, bicker and fight and argue, we have to understand what we're doing. Paul said that he begged them to stand together as one, not to let any division be among you. Now, if Paul's appeal isn't enough, we can actually go back to Jesus's prayer to his father that he says, I pray for those that will believe in me through his disciples' messages, that they would all be one, that everybody be one. And why did he pray for this? It says, so that they could be brought to complete unity, that we would be unified around the truth and the mission of Jesus. And then Jesus says this, so that the world will know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed to his father and he, said, and he prayed that all the believers would be one, that they could be brought together in complete unity. In other words, instead of being divided and weak, if, if we can stand united and strong, resisting the schemes and the attacks and the strategy of the evil one, we could actually help usher in God's will on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God. Paul prayed that we would be united. Jesus prayed that we would be one. What if we could actually be the generation that is the answer to their prayers, that God could help us to stand around the truth and the message and the, and the mission of Jesus. So then the question becomes, how? How do we do that? What would it take for us to unite around the vision and mission and the great commission of Jesus? So let's talk about it. What would unify the church? The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, we have to recognize that our battle, it's not against other people or a politician. Our battle is the rule is against the rulers and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. In other words, we have to understand. Look, the church down the street, they're not our enemy. You know, those that use a different version of the Bible, they're not our enemy. Those who worship in a different expression of worship, those are not our enemies. Those that, the person that votes differently than we do, those are not our enemies. The person with a different skin color, they're not our enemy. Those with a different background or, or listens to a different music or dress differently or grew up differently, those people are not our enemies. We have one enemy. He's the prince of, prince of darkness, the father of lies, the great deceiver. Jesus called him the thief in John 10.10. 10. He said that this thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. You see... The devil wants to steal our unity because he knows that that's the most powerful thing that we have as our witness into a very dark world. Why is that? It's because if we stand united around the truth and the great commission of Jesus, we are actually unstoppable to show the love and grace of our Savior into a dark world. But when we're divided, we're weak, we're ineffective. You see, what, what's one of the strongest unifying forces or the, one of the strongest unifying um, elements is a common enemy. Is that right? And we know that Satan is our enemy. It's, it's, this is true among uh, families, right? I mean, like with me and my siblings, we picked on each other and we, and we annoyed each other until somebody else messed with them. And, and so, listen, I hope that you understand 
The devil is attacking your family, the body of Christ. And if we recognize that we have a common enemy, that will actually unite us. That will help our church stand together, strong in mission, one enemy. And I hope that you'll recognize and look and see that, look, you know, Satan, I see what you're doing. I see you. We are not going to let you divide us. So, uh, one enemy. What else might unite us as followers of Christ? Also, one mission. So, we've got one enemy, one mission. So, there is a mission that unites us. What did Jesus say? After he, uh, he suffered brutally on a cross and he rose again, he, he looked up to heaven and he said, uh, or before he rose again, he looked up and he said, Father, I, I give you my spirit into your hands. And then he, he died. He rose again. And the very last uh, thing that he said to his disciples, he gave them the great commission. He said, this is your calling. This is the reason you breathe. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, that's what you do. He told us that's who you are. That's what you stand for. That's the most important part. That is the calling of the church. And we're called into the world to fulfill this great commission to mentor other people in the faith. And that one mission to help people know the life-giving love and grace of Jesus, that it should unite us. It does unite us. But sadly, What's the church known for today? If we were to ask somebody out on the street, you know, what is the church known for? Some people might, you know, they might say the traditions of the church or other people might talk about the architecture, you know, the the architectural structure of historic buildings that we have that are beautiful. And some people might talk about the styles of the church, you know, traditional or contemporary or, you know, they've got really cool worship or whatever it might be. But most people, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say that the church is known for what we're against. They don't like this. They don't believe in that. They don't go here. They don't associate with that type of people. They think all this stuff is wrong. Too often, they think about us as a church as what we are against. And for some of you, you know, you're still trying to decide. You're kind of kicking the tires on this. Do I want to be a Christian? One of the things that's made it hard on you is that the church is known for what it's against more than what it's for that we were standing for what we were against more than we were standing for what we were actually for. And it's good to stand up for what you believe in, but when you are known more for your defense than your proactiveness and being on the offense, then we have a problem. But what if, instead of being known for what we're against, what if we were known for what we were actually for? that we're for love, that we're for grace, for mercy, compassion, justice, generosity. You see, the Bible gives us one example and only one example of how the world will know that we are followers of Jesus. The reason that they will know is by the way we love one another. Jesus said it this way in John 13, 34. He said, a new command I give you love one another. And he also doesn't stop there. He says, as you love one, as you, as I've loved you, you have to love one another. And then everybody will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Wouldn't it be amazing if when people talked about Christians and churchgoers and the body of Christ, 
What if they would say, did you see what, how that person forgave? It's like mind blowing how they treat one another and how they care about one another and how they're always full of compassion and generosity. And you know what? Maybe I don't completely agree with what they believe in, but they always stand with the oppressed. They always give to those that are hurting. And man, the, that church down the street, they helped you know, feed my family when I lost my job. And now I'm different because of the love that they've shown. That these Christians, that they're the most compassionate, grace-filled, loving, and generous people that I've ever seen. Wouldn't it be amazing if that when the world thought about the church, they wouldn't think about what we're against, but they would think about all the godly, spirit-filled values that we are for. You see, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Paul, and Paul said this in Romans 15, 5. He says, May the God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Jesus had. So that, and here it is again, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind, with one voice, united in mission to share the love of Jesus with the world. Now, how, how is it that we do that? I mean, like seriously, practically in everyday life, you know, because we go to work or we're on social media. I mean, we're constantly dealing with very complicated people and there's so much pain and anger in the world. And so how do we do this? And you might say, come on, Micah, you know, I, I know that we've got to love each other, but they said something that I feel is wrong, things that m might hurt our, our country. And Paul says this, watch this. He says, accept one another just as Jesus or Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, we were wrong. We had wrong mentalities, but it was the love of God that drew us into his kingdom to change us. And look, that, uh, that, that word in the Greek is a very long and picturesque word, but essentially it means to open your arms and to take a person to yourself. It's, it's to embrace somebody, to actually accept somebody, to say, you know what, look, I'm not going to just let you pass by, but I am going to pull you toward me so that you can feel and know that you belong, that you matter, that I care about you, that God loves you. It's to pull somebody close, and then it is a picture of taking somebody by the hand and walking together as companions. It's just that I accept you and I want to do life with you. Even if you don't agree with me on every element, everything that's going on in our world. So. How do we do that? How do we accept people that are so different from us with different perspectives, different backgrounds, where, you know, this is how we do it. It's, Paul says this, we accept one another, that word accept one another, just as Christ accepted us. So how did Jesus accept us? How did he walk with us? How did he accept me? Well, the Bible says that while we are still sinners, in other words, while we deserved nothing but judgment, Jesus accepted us. He died for the ungodly. That's me and that's you. He loved us that much. When we were not only imperfect, but we were unrighteous, we were sinning against God. 
And yet God loved us. He accepted us. That is also how we should accept each other, the exact same way that Christ accepts us. So where does unity start? Unity starts with me, and it starts with you. It starts with us, not trying to convince somebody else that we're right, but just loving them. Look, we have become a nation of people that have become untied, just ripped apart. Why? Because so many of us are so arrogant, thinking that our viewpoint is the only way. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the only way. And our perspectives can differ greatly, but we can rally around the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and He changes lives. Look, we unite around one enemy. He's very, he's very real and he's attacking now. And also we rally around one mission, which is very, very clear. It's the Great Commission to show people Jesus and mentor people in the faith. And I believe that the world is sick and tired of hearing Jesus talk. I think they're tired of us talking about him. They want to actually see him. And I think we've got to stop talking and start loving. That we've got to grow up. And, and, you know, and stop with the social media battles. Look, we don't change anything that way. We change things with our love, relationally. And our enemy, his mission is to destroy and divide us. And we are in a war and we have to recognize that it is a very real spiritual battle here. And it's not the left versus the right, it's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. You see, we unify around the truth and the power of Jesus. What does Jesus do? Well, yes, racism is a problem. Yes, it's a problem. And the love of Jesus overcomes racism, prejudice, and hatred. Well, what about all the addictions? What did Jesus do? The power of Jesus has broken the power of addictions. The grace of Jesus helps us forgive and heal broken relationships. What does Jesus do? Jesus can help somebody release, be released from the bondage of materialism and greed and set free from debt. Jesus has healed us from sickness. He protects us from the attacks of the devil through that he, when he attacks our unity. And so he protects us from fear and anxiety. He relieves our stress and he gives us the supernatural peace that goes beyond our human ability to actually understand. This is our Jesus, the Son of God who never sinned. He loved us so much that he actually sacrificed his life for us so that we could be forgiven, healed, so that we could be free. And he did it even when we didn't deserve it, even when we're wrong. And we love other people, sometimes even when their behavior doesn't deserve deserve it. Maybe even when they're wrong, we feel like they're wrong, but we are a family. We're the body of Christ. We don't just go to church, we are the church. And we believe, I believe that the local church, the church that you're a part of is the hope of the world and we can do more together than we can apart. Look. We're followers of Jesus, and they're not going to know us by how we vote, what we stand for, what we're against. What they're going to know us by is our unity, how we love one another. So just like Paul, I beg you, I plead with you, just like Paul, for the one who gave everything for us, could we get this right? Could we love God with all of our heart, might, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves? That is our commission to go into the world and love. We have an enemy who hates God and hates us because of it. And he's trying to divide us. But we have one enemy and we also have one mission. 
and we recognize that the enemy attacks us because of that mission, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we can overcome with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead because that spirit dwells within you. So let's do this. When they look at us, when they talk about us, my desire is that they talk about our love, the grace, the compassion, the mercy, and the love of God. And because of that, that they will know that we're followers of Jesus because of the way we love each other.